is Pastor Peter Prothero. So we affectionately call him P3, Pastor Peter Prothero. But Peter was based in culture to some 35 plus years ago. And uh, God used him to develop a, a phenomenal church, uh, numerically large, but impacted the town in so many ways. And uh, my awesome mum was his PA 35 years ago. And they still speak, <laughs> which is good. And um, God's just used Peter so mightily because he built a great church here which impacted so many lives and still does. But then God took him out to Denmark, and he was the principal of the International Apostolic Bible College out in, in Denmark. And Peter trained hundreds of young men and women who are now leading churches and leading ministries all over the world. And uh, again, Peter's just been used so powerfully. And Peter said to God, he said, I love doing this role, but I don't want to pastor again because that's too hard. And then God said to him, no, I've got other plans for you, Peter. And so he brought Peter back to the UK over in Surrey, and Peter took over a church called Jubilee. And uh, they had about 35 people at the time, and they were struggling. And um, God used Peter so mightily. That church went on a transition, and it's now called Equippers Surrey, and it's now 1,200 people strong. So the man's got something on his life. The man's anointed everywhere he's been. God's just used him powerfully. He's my mentor. He's also my friend. We laugh lots. But he keeps me on the straight and narrow sometimes too. But what I want to ask is if you'd stand to your feet and give a great big Equippers Essex welcome to Pastor Peter Prothero. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Thanks, friends. Grab a seat. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, Linda does still speak to me. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, and Terry. Um, I really did give them cause not to, I promise you. So they've got big hearts and uh, amazing people. I count it such an honor to be with you guys. I really do. Um, for me, it's, it's never about the size of the church. I want you to know I didn't go to Surrey to build a big church. I went to Surrey to obey God. And uh, out of that obedience, a big church emerged, uh, which surprised me as much as anybody else. Um, but for me, it's about, and I think Barry hit the nail on the head, whenever there's not just a passionate God, but passionate people. You know, God is excited about you, but, but he wants you to be excited about him. Um, you know, and when that happens, when there's that level of responsiveness, um, I get extremely excited about being in a company of people like that. So, um, you know, I've just come back from 10 days in Italy. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it, you know. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And, uh, oh, it's, the weather was so good, I have to tell you. I know I'm going to make you mildly jealous for a while now. Um, but it was fantastic weather, 28 degrees. And, uh, but what really excited me was the hunger that's in Italy right now for the things of God. It's just astonishing. I, I did three major, six major cities. I did three in Sicily. And uh, we saw over 30 people come to Christ. Wow during those various meetings, which was just wonderful. And just amazing, amazing stories. You know, one guy in Sicily, um, just tell you one story. Uh, this guy, he was 27 years of age, but a major, major drug dealer in Sicily, like really major drug dealer, ended up coming along to a meeting, giving his life to Christ. And the police had been after him for years. So he just handed himself in just said, you know, I'm the guy you've been looking for. <laughs> there were just so many arrest warrants out for him. And, uh, you know, he ended up, he knew he was going to spend the next 15 years in prison. And uh, 
you know, he was up before the judge and just before passing sentence, they said, is there anything you want to say? And he said, well, he says, I know my life has, has not been good and uh, I know I've done a lot of bad things. He said, but I know that I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I know that I'm forgiven and I know that God has a plan for my life and he's going to do something with it and I don't know how that's going to be. And the judge was so moved, he didn't give him a custodial sentence. Wow. It's absolutely astonishing. So he's in one of our churches in Sicily, just this 27-year-old kid, and his life is totally transformed. I love that. I love that. And, uh, you know, we, we have another guy. He's also a drug addict, actually. It just so happens. But, um, you know, when these drug addicts get saved, and they're major players, you know, not just somebody who takes drugs, but a major player... What's astonishing is when they go and talk to all their friends and tell them about Jesus, and most of them are so scared of them that they listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like these guys are not, you know, they're not normally small. Uh, but the amazing thing is that God is saving people out of that world. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I'm just amazed. I'm totally astonished at the kind of good things that God's doing. Anyway, I've got a message for you today. So uh, hopefully this is going to edify you, strengthen you. Uh, and help you in your journey of faith. The title of my message is this, your breakthrough is in the stretch. Your breakthrough is in the stretch. Now, I just want you to do something for me because my daughter is a personal trainer and she says, Dad, stretching is good for you. I'm at that age where I'm just worried about all the noises I hear when I do that in my body. <laughs> you know, and so, so I want you to know I'm not totally committed to that. But I do believe it's true. But just, just for a moment, what I'd love you to do is just raise your hands as high as you think you can. As high as you think you can. Are you there? Yeah. Now give me an extra centimeter. Could you do it? Yeah. Brilliant. Put your hands down. Isn't it interesting that the first time I said stretch, you went as far as you could. But then when I said give me some more, you actually went a little bit further. I want to suggest to you that when God is helping us to grow and to face the challenges of life, often the stretch that he has for us is just a little bit further than you would ever go. It's just a little bit more than you would choose to give. And I think God sets it up that way so that we understand that he is a God who can take us further than we even believe we can go. I think that's been the testimony of my life, actually. I never realized at the beginning when I went to Bible college at 22 years of age, I didn't know God was going to use me in the way he used me. You only understand your life looking back, actually. You never understand your life looking forward because looking forward, it's all about faith. It's, it's all about taking chances, actually. But looking back, you begin to understand what's been going on. And... Um, I believe that God is in the business of helping us make the stretch. Now, now, what's fascinating to me is there's a number of scriptures in the Bible. In fact, there's, there's five scriptures in Deuteronomy where when God describes what he did for Israel, he uses this metaphor. So, for instance, I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy 4.34. Or, or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you, 
in Egypt before your eyes. That's repeated in chapter 5, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 19, chapter 9, verse 29, chapter 11, verse 22, verse 2. In other words, every time God was going to act with power and deliverance, the description is he does it with an outstretched arm. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, when the early church were being persecuted and Peter and John had been beaten, but, but they'd also seen the man healed at the temple gate, beautiful, they went back and the church began to pray together. And as they were praying to the Lord, they said this, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may preach your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the whole place was shaken and they're filled with the Spirit. In other words, they understood when God acts to demonstrate his power and his deliverance, he does it with what the Bible calls an outstretched arm. I love that. Because when Moses was dividing the Red Sea, he had to stretch out his rod. When Joshua was taking the city of Ai, God said, stretch out your javelin and hold it there. And they took the city and plundered the city of Ai. He didn't remove his javelin. When Moses was helping Joshua defeat the Amalekites in the valley of Rephaim, Moses had to hold up his hands. And when they got tired, there were two men there to help him stretch. Do you get it? So God is in the business of extending his hand in order for us to experience his deliverance. And I believe the same is for you and I. I believe God wants to stretch us. So I'm going to give you four areas in your life where I believe you experience the stretch. Okay? I've, I've experienced all of this myself, so don't worry. We're in, we're in good company to hear together. I promise you this message, I had to preach it to myself before I'm preaching it to you. <laughs> so here's the first one. We get, we get stretched in our reason, in our thinking, in our understanding. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Have you noticed that when you lean on something, you put your weight on it? Have you ever lent on something and it's fallen over? Isn't that embarrassing? Isn't that embarrassing? There's a scene that's so often seen on YouTube from Only Fools and Horses. You know that one where he goes to lean on the bar and someone lifts the lid and over he goes? You know, when you lean on something, you're relying on it. And God says, here's the problem. Most of us are leaning on our understanding. And here's the problem. Our understanding is limited. Our understanding and our perspective is how we see the world and how we interpret the world. But when David was talking, uh, when God was talking to David, he said, I will guide you with my eye. In other words, guides, God guides us from his perspective. But you have to trust that God sees more than you do. If you don't trust that God sees more than you do, then you begin to rely on your own understanding. You know, I'm not taking that chance. But God invites us to trust him and not to lean on our own understanding. Paul phrased it completely differently in 2 Corinthians 5.7. He said it like this, we walk by faith and not by sight. But he's basically saying exactly the same thing. We walk by faith and not by sight. When you walk by sight, you're relying on all the information you can gather, process, and understand in your own mind. But when you walk by faith... It's not that you discount all those things. It's that you add something else. The promises of God's word. 
And so the challenge is, well, if we're going to lean into God rather than into our own understanding, what's the possible outcome that could happen there? You see, if you lean on your own understanding, imagine you go to the doctor. and We've had several people in our church where this has happened. And the doctor says, well, you've got this problem. You've got cancer. We had a lady where she was told, you've got cancer, you'll, you'll be dead in, in a year. It's, you're, you're, you're too far gone. We can't do anything. We can, we can help you with the pain, but this is it. And she was just so discouraged. I remember the first time I met her and talked to her about it. And I said, well, look, that's the doctor's verdict. He has a certain understanding based on his training, based on, on, on his perspective, based on his experience. But I said, God is bigger than your cancer. Should we pray for you? And we did. We prayed for her for a whole year. Every week we would pray for her. I'd get different people to pray because my faith wasn't always up there. You know, have you experienced that? Some, some weeks you're there and some weeks you're saying, please don't let me pray for anyone this week. <laughs> That's how life is. But you can always find someone else who's up when you're not. So she had consistent prayer for a year. She went back to the doctor. He said, this is astonishing. I've never seen anything like this. He says, your cancer is getting smaller and parts of your body are completely clear of cancer. Well, well, how many of you know that encouraged her? When somebody gives you a year to live and a year goes by and the doctor says, you're looking pretty good. Well, let me tell you now, seven years have gone by and she's still there. She's still there. Uh, after three years, she went to the doctor. He says, you're in complete remission. There is nothing wrong with you. There is no cancer in your body whatsoever. Now, now, listen, if you lean on your own understanding, if you lean into that, it's pretty frightening. But if you lean into God and trust in the Lord, there's the possibility something could happen. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, we have the story where Jesus goes into a synagogue and there's a man there with a withered hand. And he knows the Pharisees are there, and they're there to judge him and evaluate him. You know, and you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath as far as they're concerned. So Jesus asks him a question. If, if a person falls into a pit, if a sheep falls into the pit, won't you lift it out on the Sabbath? And that's a very powerful thing that Jesus is saying there, because he's basically saying, this man with a withered hand is in a pit, and I'm here to pull him out. You know, listen, the first thing you do when you get ill is try and get better. Nobody gets ill and says, oh, I hope this gets worse. (laughs) Your body is designed by God to fight infection. It's designed to do that. Immediately your body gets a sickness. You have antibodies. You have an immunity system that fights to heal. And sometimes you need a little little help in that process. So so God doesn't design you to be sick. He designed you to be well. It's in creation. It's the way he's made you. And so when we get sick, what do we do? We fight to get better, but sometimes we lose the fight. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by it. But here's Jesus. He sees a guy. He says, I can do something about this. You know what he said to him? Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Your deliverance is in the stretch. I need you to do something as an act of faith. And that's all it was. It was an act of faith. Is he going to lean on his own understanding? He's saying, I've got a withered hand. I can't stretch out my hand. Why are you asking me to do what I can't do? But Jesus is present. And often he does challenge us to do what we think we can't do. And it's in the stretch that the healing came. I just love that story. Peter walking on the water. 
How many of you know that defies understanding? If you lean on your own understanding like the other 11, you're not getting out of the boat. There's just no way you're going to do that. You know, if you've got a degree in physics, you are not getting out of the boat. You understand how that works. Water has three states, basically. Solid, liquid, gas. When it's a liquid, you can't stand on it. We get that's our understanding, yeah? That is the truth according to our reality. But God has another reality. He's not limited by physics. He's not limited by those kinds of things. And Jesus is walking on water, and they're seeing it. And when Peter sees it, it inspires something in him. He's thinking to himself, I want some of that. I love that. I think that's why God does the miraculous. I think that's why God does unusual things, to awaken what's in us. And he said to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. And then Jesus says, come. That's probably the most powerful word that's ever been spoken in human history. One word, come. And it empowered a man to walk on water. Now, I get it, Jesus walking on water. I get it because he's perfect. I don't really get it, Peter walking on water. Uh, you're, You're a sinner. You know, you've got stuff in your life. You're, you're doing the miraculous? What's that all about? Well, that's about the grace of God. That's about the empowering presence of God. That, that, that your problems and your issues are never a disqualification for God using you because it's not really about you. It's about him and his greatness and his goodness. And he starts walking on the water, and then he, you know, he notices the wind and the waves and takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to sink. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus didn't say, uh-uh. <laughs> Do you love that? You know, say, you made your bed, now lie in it. <laughs> Ever heard that one? Oh, I grew up with that one. Yeah, there you go. You're in unbelief. Hasta la vista. But Jesus doesn't do that. Don't you love that the Jesus we know and serve, when we're in a place of unbelief, doesn't leave us there? He said, Lord, save me. What did Jesus do? Here's what the scripture says in Matthew 12, 14. He stretched out his hand. Isn't that beautiful? The grace of God stretches out to you today. The grace of God reaches you in your place of unbelief. The grace of God doesn't let you drown, doesn't let you fail, doesn't let you sink. The grace of God is always there, stretching out to you, saying, come. I just love that. Here's a question for you then. Where in your understanding is God stretching you? Where in your understanding is God stretching you? I'll tell you, for me, the last year or so, the biggest stretch has been in the area of finances. God's, you know, do I, do I lean on my understanding or do I lean into God? You know, because I, I earn my money through itinerant ministry. And then COVID-19 came along. Thank you very much. I remember having a, well, not really an argument with the Lord, but you know... You know when you're not very happy with the Lord? You know? Have you ever been like that? Oh, come on. I'm I'm not the only one in the room, am I? (laughs) Jeremiah wasn't happy with the Lord. He says, says, you've been to me like a deceitful stream. I'm not going to talk about you anymore. (laughs) Finito. Game over. And as he walked away, Jeremiah writes these words. His fire was in me. His word was in me like a fire in my bones, and I could not help but speak about him. That's what it's like. But these prophets, they all got up. Jonah, 
Jonah sulking under a tree. You know, I knew that. I knew you were merciful. He's angry because God is merciful. (laughs) Not towards him, towards his enemies. He didn't like that. You you should zap him. I'm a prophet and I've declared judgment in 40 days. And already you're not making me look good because my word is not going to be fulfilled. You know, all the things that we get angry with God about. And I remember, you know, I was just a little bit upset. And I said, God, I know what I want from you. What do you want from me? And that's when I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to start writing. And I thought, okay, okay, I'll do that. I spent, I spent two weeks and it was like, it was like hell. That's all I can describe it to you. Have you ever tried, you know, when someone said to you, you need to, like the Lord says, you need to start writing. You go, okay. And then two weeks later, you've got 200 words. It's like, kill me now. (laughs) And then I realized, (laughs) I realized I needed to go back to God. And I said, I know you've asked me to do this. Please give me the grace to do this. It was, like, it was like, I heard God say, yeah, that's what I was waiting for. I just want you to know it's all me. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then the flow came. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I did start writing. So hopefully next week the first book will be published. It's, uh, it's called Church Leadership, the stuff you usually learn the hard way. <laughs> it's to save every young leader <laughs> the pain that I went through. <laughs> So that you don't have to do that. That's the intention. Stretched in your relationships. Come on, we're, we all get stretched in our understanding. Have you noticed sometimes when God wants to change you, he gives you a relationship that stretches you? You, you don't believe that? Wait till you get married. Wait till you have kids. Wait till you have to get on with in-laws. I used to call them outlaws. But anyway... Relationships in your life are designed to stretch you. And and, and how many of you know, on the one hand, we need relationships. On the other hand, we have to navigate relationships. Because not not all relationships are healthy, actually. Not all families are healthy. Not all situations are healthy. And we get stretched in that area. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he says this, I implore. Can you you hear the, the sort of, desire of Paul here. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. You know, here's Paul. He's writing to this church, and there's two women who are brilliant. Brilliant women, brilliant servants, helped Paul, highly, highly capable women. But when it came to their relationship, there was an issue. We're not told what it is. But, but, but Paul thought it was, the whole church knows about it, so I might as well write to the whole church about it. I mean, can you imagine, you're reading Philippines. I mean, imagine now, this is the church at Philippi, and somebody's all excited, you know, me. And I say, hey, we've got a letter from Paul. Let me read it to you. And I'm reading the letter. And then I read something like this. Oh, and tell Sarah <laughs> and Lisa to be of the same mind in the Lord. And it's like everyone in the room goes, ooh. Can you imagine that? It's being read out loud. 
in the church of Philippi. It's like, you're named. I implore you. You know, I implore you. And, and, and Barry, help these women. You know, true, true companion is, it's the Greek word zizagos. We translated it true companion. That's the meaning of his name. But it's actually a guy's name in there, in the Greek. Help these women. It's like, you know, how would you feel like? Like the whole church like knows, yeah, Paul's nailed it. We, we, knew, we knew there was an issue. That's why this one sits on this side and she sits on that side. We know there's an issue. And Paul says, come on. You're both great people. You both have helped me. You both contributed to the kingdom. You both have significance on your life. Come on. Let there be a stretch. How many of you know forgiving people sometimes requires a stretch? Have you ever experienced that? And and you sort of think to yourself, they don't really deserve it. And that's right, neither do you. And that's the point. That's That's the good news. The gospel is nobody deserves it. But we all get it. In Jesus, we're all forgiven. In Jesus, we all get a new opportunity. And then Jesus says, I want you to give what you've received. And he's like, wow, that's a stretch. And then you read Matthew 5, and you just want to go home, don't you, after you read Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. It's like, (laughs) lovely words. Well, who's doing that? How many of you know you can only do that with a stretch? You can only do that if God enlarges your heart so that forgiveness is a natural and normal part of your disposition towards other people and you don't hold things against them, even when they've done bad things towards you. Where are you being stretched in your relationships right now? Where are you being stretched? Because your deliverance is in the stretch. Your freedom in that relationship is in the stretch. Your freedom from your own understanding, it's in the stretch when you start to trust God with all your heart. How about this one? Stretch in your resources. Stretch in your resources. How many of you know that there's, there's never enough people, there's never enough money, and there's never enough time? If you've ever led a church, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's never enough people, never enough, never enough money, never enough time. In John chapter 6, there were 5,000 people who needed to be fed. Jesus asked the question, well, what do we have? And they said, there's a lad here, and he's got five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? You ever had that experience in your life where you look at your resource and you say, it's just not enough? What is this among so many? What is this? What is this in this situation? It's not enough. And I, I just love the way Jesus approaches the problem. He says, give it to me. When the little is put into the hands of the Lord, it becomes enough. It becomes enough. You know, often I've, I've been in a situation where I've, I've known God is asking me for something. And I say, God, that's just not much. It's not enough. He says, yeah, but if you give it to me, I'll deal with it. I'll multiply it. I'll, I'll make up the difference. Um, I know that over the years we've been believing God for a building. How many of you know buying a building in southwest London is very expensive? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> We're looking at one right now. They want eight million for it. So we've offered them nearly three. Uh, they didn't like that for some reason. But anyway, 
Over the years that I've been leading the church, we've helped three other churches buy their building. Three other churches, we've helped them buy their building. We just sowed money. And significant amounts sometimes, really significant amounts. And I remember the people on the leadership team saying to me, why are we doing this? We need a building. We need to save money. Why are we doing it? I said, well, because we're sowing into our future. That's what we're doing. Because whatever you sow, you reap. I said, we need a very big building, and we need a very expensive building. So let's help these guys get their other buildings, and let's just believe God that he's going to meet our need at the right time. And right now, you know, I'm still standing in faith. We don't have the building yet, and we still keep helping other churches. Uh, God spoke to me this week to help a church in Italy of a friend of mine. He's bought a Catholic church. Can you believe this? A 1970s Catholic church. They deconsecrated it, so he reconsecrated it. And he's planted a church there uh, in, T- in Turin, Torino, in Turin. Can you believe that? Uh, and I had the privilege of speaking in this Catholic church. And, it, you know, with about 100 believers in there who just all love Jesus. It's just amazing. And the Spirit of God spoke to me, help him buy this church, help him buy this building. So we're going to do that. But where are you stretched in your resources? Sometimes there's not enough people. Jesus said in Matthew 9:37. Um, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Listen, it's, it's easy to get a crowd. It's harder to get a laborer for the harvest. You know, the crowd love to rock up. The, the crowd love the moment. The crowd love the singing. The crowd love the fellowship. But workers say, oh, yeah. I'll turn up two hours early, and I'll help with the setup. That's what laborers do. I'll say, yeah, I'll stay an hour later, and I'll, I'll pack up. Yeah, you, you need food for Sunday for hospitality? I'll bake. I'll cook. I'll get it ready. Uh, the laborers are few. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. You know, I've discovered something very unusual. I meet unbelievers everywhere. Isn't that astonishing? It's like everywhere I go, I meet an unbeliever. It's like there's nothing wrong with the harvest. There's people ready to get saved. But we just need a church that's empowered. We we need a church that says, yeah, I want to get my hands dirty. I want to be involved in this. I, I want to see people saved. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see uh, redemption. I want to see the power of redemption in people's lives. You know... Um, I'm getting on a bit. I remember Barry when he was a teenager. Can you believe that? And uh, really, I'm I'm past retirement age, I promise you. I'm past retirement age, but I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me. It's not time to retire, it's time to refire. And I've just decided retirement is off the cards for me. I'm just going to keep going till I drop. That's it. (laughs) I'm I'm inspired by George Muller, who began all the orphanages in Bristol. George Muller began his itinerant preaching ministry at the age of 70. He went on for for another 17 years. He ended up meeting two presidents of the United States. He was welcomed into the White House, prayed for two presidents of the United States, traveled all over the world. And by the way, that was boat and train back in those days. But 17 years of active ministry from the age of 70 onwards. That's a laborer. That's a laborer for the harvest. 
You know, I keep saying to some of the guys in our church who are getting early retirement, I said, please don't spend hours and hours playing golf. <laughs> please don't do that. You know, have one day, fine. You know, have your day. But your life is more than golf. We need laborers for the harvest. I don't care how old you are. Get stuck in, get involved. You know, if you've got breath in you, you've got purpose in you. That's how God sees it. But where are you being stretched in your resources? Come on. When we get stretched in our resources, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Sometimes we feel like there's too much month at the end of the money. Lean into God when that happens. Lean into God. I remember one time when we were leading the church here in Colchester, you know, and we had a prophetic guy on our team. And, uh, you know, he and I had a love-hate relationship. Uh, I loved him most of the time, but sometimes I hated what he said. And he, he came up one day to the team. Well, during worship, can you believe it, on a Sunday service, he says, I think the Lord wants us to all put this week's uh, wages in the offering. And we were, I was desperate at that time. It was a bit hand-to-mouth. I said, I said, that doesn't witness with me. <laughs> and all the other three guys said, yeah, well, it witnesses with us. We think we should do that. And so I thought, oh, for the sake of unity, you know. I thought, okay, I'll go along with that. And, uh, you know, we all put that week's salary into the offering that week. We needed the money. We sowed it just a week. And I thought to myself, what's the worst that could happen, Really? A week fasting? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not so bad, is it? Um, and here's the amazing thing. I remember one day waking up and on our front door were like three bags of Tesco shopping. And it was just there. And we didn't tell anybody. We didn't let anybody know what we were doing. But it just, it just happened. God's got resources. Listen, he could multiply loaves and fish. Do you think your resource is so bad that God can't do something with it? I'm, I'm encouraging you. Just stretch yourself. Just dare to believe God for a little bit more. It's dare to believe God, I'm asking you to do something now. I'm stretching out to you. Will you stretch out to me? And here's the last thing. Being stretched in your routines. Stretched in your routines. You know, there was a time when the disciples came back to Jesus. And uh, they were so excited because, you know, they'd seen the sick healed, they'd seen demons delivered, they preached the kingdom. And Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. And so they, they go apart to have a rest. That's the intention. You need, you need a break. And when they did, everyone followed them. <laughs> everyone followed them. So Jesus spends the whole day teaching this crowd while the disciples basically have a break. And then the disciples come to Jesus and they say, send them away. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm going to write a chapter in a book. I think it's a chapter. It might be a whole book, but it's going, definitely going to be a chapter in a book. It's, it's, it, the title is, Don't Bother Giving Jesus Advice. <laughs> Have you noticed how many times in the, in the New Testament people try to give Jesus advice? And it, did, it never turned out well, I promise you. I've studied it. It never turned out well. The crowd are hungry, it's getting late, the shops are closed, send them away. Jesus turns around and says, you give them something to eat. How many of you know that that statement was a stress-inducing moment for the disciples? Yeah? 
I mean, if you were the disciples of Jesus and said that to you, none of you are going to say, oh, yeah, fantastic, thank you, Jesus. None of you are going to do that. Oh, oh, me, me, oh, that's so unfair. So unfair, I'm only human, you know. We get in that mode, don't we? And John's Gospel says Jesus himself knew what he would do. He's like, I'm just messing with you guys. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Make them sit down. And the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 comes out of a stretch that Jesus embraces. And he's teaching them to embrace the stretch. Do you get it? Where in your routine... Are you being stretched? There's the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. It's actually the certain Samaritan in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10. And uh, you know the story about the priest who crosses over to the other side and the Levite who crosses over to the other side. Not my problem, not my issue. Crossing over. But the Samaritan who, Samaritans and Jews didn't have great relationships. But he comes to where the man was and it says this, when he saw him, he had compassion. I love that. Whenever God is going to mess with your routine, I promise you, nine times out of ten, you'll be moved with compassion. You'll be moved with compassion. You've already got a full day. You've already had a full day. And then someone comes along, and it's like, compassion enlarges your heart. It stretches you. That's what the Samaritan did. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured in oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, whatever more you spend. When I come again, I will repay you. I would, I, you know what I love about this story is, is this guy is on a journey. He's got a destination. He's got an objective. He's got a plan for his day. And that totally gets messed up. Do you know what? My prayer is that God will mess up some of your days. And that you won't be angry or offended with him when he does it. Because it will be an opportunity for you to bring the kingdom through God's compassion to someone else's life. But I know some people, they're they're so strict in their routine. Everything is so ordered in their life, they don't allow God to break into their world. Listen, I, I believe in having routines, but I also believe in building in margins. Just a little bit of space where God could do something. Come on, let's have that. Let's have that. The good Samaritan, think about this. He stopped. He bound his wounds. He put him on his donkey, his transport. He takes him and finds an inn. He pays the innkeeper, and he stays with the guy the whole of that day to make sure he's okay. That day was now dedicated to the well-being of that man. And as soon as he's out of danger, the next day, he says, his two denara is probably enough money for at least two to three weeks. Can you imagine paying that in a hotel? Imagine handing over your visa card. This guy needs to stay here for at least two weeks. Take it off my credit card. Can you imagine that? You're looking at me funny. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible. That's what the man did. And then Jesus asked a question when he told the story. Who was neighbor to this man who was, fell among thieves? And uh, 
It's interesting how the Pharisee answers. He says, I suppose the man who showed mercy, he doesn't say the Samaritan. He can't bring himself to say that. I suppose the man who showed mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, if we're going to be the church that loves our neighbor, the church who loves our neighborhood, we're going to have to be people who let God mess with our routines. We're going to have to take the stretch. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to folk and they say, you know, oh, we're just so busy. Just moved house, just got a new job. And I think of those excuses like the invitation to the wedding supper where they say, oh, just bought a yoke of oxen, just got married. And it's like one by one they made excuse. Hey, listen, do you want to live your life making excuses? Or do you want to take the stretch? Do, do, do you want to just... Do your thing? Or in doing your thing, do you want God's thing to break in? Because I think when that happens, that's what make life, makes life for us quality. I love you to stand to your feet. Just going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. God is good, isn't he? I just want to pray. You know, we never... We never want to leave a meeting without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus because we never know people's journeys. We never know where people are in their walk. And so we're just going to take a moment to do that. If you wouldn't mind just bowing your head and closing your eyes. If you're here today and you've not said yes to Jesus, it's, it's just about surrendering your life to him as king, as savior, as Lord. You've heard me talk today about the stretch, but the only way we can, the first stretch we need is to let Jesus into our hearts, into our lives, to be king. Not to go our own way, not to choose our own way, but to trust God for salvation, for forgiveness, for a new beginning. If you're here this morning, you want to do that. I want to pray with you. All you've got to do is say a simple prayer like this. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. You can pray it in your heart even now. Thank you for his death on the cross that paid for all my sins. Thank you for his resurrection that secures my forgiveness and my destiny. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is my Lord. Just with head bowed and eyes closed, if you said that prayer, maybe for the first time or maybe you're rededicating your life to Jesus this morning, if that's you, I'm looking. I just want to know. Would you mind just lifting your hand up high? Let me know. Raise it up high. Let me see it. I'll just acknowledge it. You can put it down again. But we don't want anyone to leave here today without the opportunity just to say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Just a moment longer. If that's you, we'll pray with you. We've got stuff we'd love to give you, a Bible to help you in your walk. Cool. Okay, one more prayer then. If, if this message speaks to you in any one of those areas I've talked about, all I want you to do is place your hand on your heart and I'm just going to pray from the front. Is that okay? If it speaks to you in any one of those areas. Okay. Father, thank you that you are able to handle every single person, every single journey, every single destiny represented in this room. That you know what everyone is going through. You know their story. You know where relationships need to be healed. You know where resource needs to be given. You know, God, 
all the things that we battle with where you need to break through for us. And my prayer is today that people are going to experience a brand new grace in their routines, in their understanding that their reason is not going to be locked into just walking by sight, but it's going to be one where they trust in you with all their heart. And Lord, I just release grace over every person today. Let, let this week be a week where we take the stretch, we grow, and we experience more of you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.